Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Ah, there's nothing quite like getting knocked out of the EFL Cup to lift the mood of a beleaguered manager. There he was last night, Pep Guardiola, bouncing around Old Trafford, congratulating his young players on a job well done. Positively beaming in his post-match interview. Yeah. This is a man who does not usually take defeat particularly well. Looks quite grumpy a lot of the time, as most top-level managers do. Didn't seem as perturbed last night. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say... I don't want to say the magic of the EFL Cup has disappeared, Ken. But mm. maybe Pep hasn't quite been touched by it in his football life. Uh, he just doesn't want to play this many matches. Just uh, He's as bored by it as everyone else. Um... And yet the winning manager looked like the most depressed man on the planet. He looked really sad, didn't he? It was, it's, his interview afterwards, I, I wonder if he's going to burst into tears. He was like, a, he was like choking up with emotion. Like, Br- R- Jose Mourinho, really brittle. I mean, this is the same guy who was once, you know, throwing his medal into the crowd. Ah, the medal means nothing to me. I can imagine Mourinho, the next time he wins a medal, being like the guy at the start of Saving Private Ryan. You know that the old guy, like kind of standing there, shaking slightly, and like his eyes just brimming with tears as he holds the medal, the ribbon, the ribbon sort of wrapped around his fingers. Am I a good man? <laughs> exactly. Earned this. Well, I suppose I did. So that. So uh, yeah, he he's undergoing some uh, some changes. You're very welcome to today's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Own Ken and Murph here, uh, talking away. Hit it, time. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. <laughs> Own bread, yeah, in uh, County Mead, a place called Navin. Very early shout on, very early on the show for a Pierce Brosnan emigrant shout out. It's a good one, though. Uh, so, it is, it's P. Bezo time. Uh, Keith Sheehan has contacted us from Hong Kong, and he's been a very, very naughty boy. He writes, Hello guys, I'm a Limerick Primary School art teacher living and working in Hong Kong. I love listening to the football podcast on my way to work, so I thought you might find this amusing. I went to school today dressed as Zlatan for Halloween. We share the building with another school. The kids in my section loved it, but then I was spotted by a teacher from the other school. She introduced herself and told me that her sixth class students had seen me walking around and they really wanted autographs. They lined up and I happily scribbled Zlatan for them. 
I was under the impression that owing to my fake United kit, 10 euro from the town market, they knew I wasn't slotted, and they were playing along. Later, I met the same teacher at the bus stop. She asked me what I was doing in Hong Kong. I said, <laughs> I thought you knew it was just a costume. Oh, dear. According to her, the kids believe they actually met actual oh. Zlatan, and it's made their week. She saw the funny side, but wants me to visit her classroom tomorrow and confess that I'm as fake as my United kit. P.S. I won fourth prize in the Halloween competition. Only fourth, despite a convincing portrayal of Zlatan. Regards, yeah. Keith. Now, I should mention that Keith looks a lot like... How shall I put this? He looks like a lot like a guy from Limerick wearing a goatee and a fake dark hair. Oh, wait, hang on. So, I, I saw the email. I didn't see any photos. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, I, I, I emailed Keith and said, "What do you have a picture of you as Latan? What made it so realistic that they thought it was him? Well, give us a look there, Ken. He says, here I am before and after. Yeah, I think, yeah. Murph's description. Do you know, he actually looks more like Hozier than... <laughs> he does, he does yeah. look like Hozier. He yeah. says, uh, I have no idea why they bought it. Ha ha. I guess they really wanted to believe it. One girl said, I know you must be someone famous, so please sign my piece of paper, lol. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can lol all you like, but you're going to break a lot of tiny, beautiful hearts tomorrow morning. By the way, so. why is that other teacher asking him to come in and confess that he's not Zlatan? Those kids think they have met Zlatan. Leave it at that. That's great. Zlatan just walking around Hong Kong in full United kit. <laughs> Uh, just it's the next marketing play, playing against Man City Plays. later on of course yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know I, I feel that maybe the kids still might be able to put two and two together yeah. you know then again I suppose actually I was going to say something there about you know a Christian feast coming up in the next couple of months but why would I do that just on the tiny chance that okay I'm going to stop talking now I'm I going to stop talking don't know what I don't even know I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about Christmas time yeah Kids, suspension of disbelief that a character I, could do something. Yeah, I still have no idea what he's talking about. Secondcaptainsirishtimes.com, email in any any more Halloween japery going on around the world. Be it Ireland, be it, where was that, Hong Kong? Anything Hong else? Kong Hozier, if you're listening, somebody's impersonating you. It's trying to impersonate Zlatan, but appears do to be Do you support Manchester you United? Is this man's is this Halloween costume still rescuable, I wonder? Ken Early's report on sport. So, um, where are we on? Well, I mean, obviously Zlatan is still famous. I saw, I saw the Forbes list the other day. Zlatan's in there, you know, like the world's 100 best-paid celebrities. Um, he was, I think Taylor Swift was number one. Ronaldo was like number four. Zlatan was, was down around 70-ish. He, he made only $37 million last year. Um... Which, you know, partly was because he was working for Paris Saint-Germain, um, who were giving him a very high net wage. And also because of his status as probably the number one advertising icon for a whole bunch of blue-chip Swedish companies. You know, I mean, Neymar has to flog underwear. Zlatan straps on a rifle and goes hunting in the Arctic for Volvo. You know what I mean? He's he's got a lot of uh, big firms who want to uh, who want to be associated with him, you know, for for their market. Uh, he's well placed, and he's obviously been made this way by the fact that he's been a big star in football, which has been the biggest game in the world, maybe the biggest entertainment in the world Owen, for a long time. Certainly up there, yeah. Not anymore, Owen. Uh, other things have have. Uh, 
half past eight. And there have been quite a few articles actually in uh, in the last few days about the um, well the the about the decline in the viewership on Sky for Premier League matches over the first few uh, weeks of the season. Hang on, wasn't one of those articles written by Ken Early one in the Irish Times? Yeah, one of them was, but there have been a few. The first one. The first one, yeah. The first and best. Well, no, I wouldn't say it was the first one, because I read it in uh, Charlie Sale. Charlie Sale's comment. I mean, he had the he had the story of the 19% drop in ratings. He just had it, so I thought, that's kind of interesting. The first one I read, then. God. Just uh, trying to give you a compliment. Well, maybe you, should read, uh, maybe you should read Charles Sale. You might uh, no, I've read find loads of good articles since. So. In the know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, you know, I mean, I remember, uh, were you with me on when we went along to, to that event a couple of years ago? Um, it was at the Web Summit with Colm O'Neill, the, the then chief executive of a B- BT Ireland, was one of the three people on this panel. It was a panel about sports rights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was on that, yeah. And Colm O'Neill uh, said at that time that, you know, the value of sports rights seems to just go up. And 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 he, I remember him kind of grinning as he said it, and he said, "Look, I know, I'm I'm Ireland. We've been through a bubble situation in this country uh, in the last while. I know that these you know bad things sometimes come out of left field. However, <laughs> as far as we can see, when we look at the market for sports rights, it doesn't. It's different from all the other markets. And he kind of knew that what he was saying couldn't possibly be true. Although it seemed that way. He said, you know, we'll, we'll only know we're in a bubble.'" Um, when, you know, when it bursts. It's, it's kind of the way bubbles often are. Um, you know, I mean, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I think I think looking back, we might have we might have seen some signs. I mean, when Stephen Fletcher was posing in front of a Lamborghini Aventador, was that a canary in the coal mine moment? Was that a, a dead canary lying in the bottom of a cage in, in a football coal mine? When even the shoeshine boys are talking about their stocks. Yeah. When you know when when you've got when you've got Stevie Fletcher, I mean not 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 a bad player, but not a great player, not hardly. Wow, Stephen, we've we've just been through the Stephen Fletcher era in the Premier League. You know, it kind of came and and went, and no one really. Where is Stephen Fletcher playing now? Championship. I think he's actually at Marseille at the moment. Or at least he was there. I'm not sure if he's if he's still there. Um, but you know, these are so. What, what you see is a, a game which is getting richer and richer, um, and you know who's paying for it. Well, basically all of us. So there was no reason uh, a couple of years ago, at least according to the executives we saw talking about sports rights, to think that that would really change at any point in the immediate future. But it seems as though it is beginning to change. Um, the question is whether uh, the Guardian, for instance, had done a couple of pieces in this. Owen Gibson. Uh, had, had written a piece, and then they had kind of put a put a thing out to their readers. You know, what do you think of this? Are you watching as much football as you used to? Are you kind of into it? And they got this big response, and loads of people were saying, loads of people were saying stuff like, "Well, it's too expensive. It's a joke. Like, I, I, you know, why should I pay that much to watch football, which isn't even that good?" Uh, and then there were other people. Another kind of strand which you saw a few times was, "There's too much of it." There's too much of it. Now, to an extent, people have always kind of been saying there's too much football. I have a shoot annual at home from 1988-89, I think. And it's got like, you know, six six footballers. I remember Packy Bonner is one of them. Maybe Charlie Nicholas is one. And they're asking questions about the game. Things like, football focus or Satan Greavesy? Most of the footballers went for Satan Greavesy. 
think Packy Bonner was a football focus man, but he was saying he thought there was too much. All of them were saying they thought there was too much football on TV. There's like two matches a week, max, if there's a European match. Most weeks, one match, or maybe not even a match. And that was, they considered to be an unsustainable glut of football. So I'm not really sure about the scarcity argument, you know, in terms of <clears throat> there should be less football on TV, then it would be event it would be event television when it was on. People would all tune in. Uh, I'm not sure about that. And as for the, the thing of it being too expensive, there, I, I think it, it probably is too expensive. I think it's going to be... It, it, the, the problem is that it's competing with a free alternative. A free illegal alternative, but an existing alternative. It's illegal, but it's illegal in such a way that... How do you get punished for this again? You know what I mean? It's kind of a... Stream, you know, for instance, in the in the in the Guardian uh, comments, the reader comments, loads of them were saying stuff like, "Yeah, you know, I don't really feel too guilty about not giving Rupert Murdoch any money," uh, or you know, I can kind of feel like I can kind of justify it to myself. Okay, sure, it's illegal, but it's kind of a victimless crime. The victim is Sky, <laughs> you know. So so people can can justify that to themselves. But the point, the, the, the more important point is, whatever about people's moral self-justifications for doing this, is if one product is getting increasingly expensive and uh, a, an almost identical product is free, that's that spells trouble in the long run. But the rights haven't been going down yet. I mean, the last Premier League rights were insanely through the roof. Yeah. But wait till you see, wait till you see what happens if the ratings start to start to continue to go down. I actually think that the problem is is bigger than just the um, the fact that it's too expensive. Uh, because if you look at the subscriptions, I was writing about this, if you look at the subscriptions, at least as far as Sky reveal the figures that they reveal, their subscriptions haven't fallen. It's not like people are en masse cutting off Sky the way they are, for instance, with ESPN in the United States. The United States is always a couple of years ahead in these sorts of trends. So in, with ESPN, they've lost like 10 million subscribers over the last four years. Right. Um, which is, you know, it's 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 a 10%. They, they, were, they, they peaked at just over 100 million subscribers. Now they're down below 90 million. And the pace of decline is, is speeding up because people are like, well, why am I paying this? I don't even watch it. Um... But that hasn't yet hap- started to happen. So when people are not watching as much football on Sky, it isn't because fewer people have Sky. They're just not watching this. And I think that actually has something to do, not with the not with the expense of the game or the scarcity or the diving players or you know the too much hype or any of these kinds of things. It has to do with the fact that football itself, as a viewer experience, as an, as an entertainment, is cannot can no longer compete with all the things that have come along in the last couple of years uh i'm i'm speaking here about basically the uh the internet i guess i mean i'm not saying the internet has just come along in the last couple of years <clears throat> but i mean the internet in the sense of the all-encompassing uh, sort of social uh, socially driven sort of thing that it's, it basically uh you know inf- infiltrates every moment of your life <clears throat> and is designed specifically to do that i mean the internet there was a really interesting piece i read a little while ago um it was in the New York Review. It was called We Are Hopelessly Addicted by Jacob Weisberg. Um, and he had some interesting stuff in it about how, uh, say, for instance, a few years ago, uh, all of these top universities in the United States, all these kind of clever people coming through, <clears throat> uh, 
uh, one of the things that was said when the when the financial crisis happened, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. What a pity that so many of our our best young minds went into Wall Street just so they could make money. You know, just just shuffle, shuffling money around on you know the various markets. You know, it's it's kind of a it's such a wasteful destination for all of this. You know, potentially this creative potential uh, just to be wasted, just to follow the money into Wall Street and not do anything except shuffle money around and get rich. Uh, what a waste! Um, and the point that he's making in this piece is that actually those jobs aren't in Wall Street. He says, 20 years ago, the hottest jobs of college graduates were at Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Today, students at Stanford and Caltech and Harvard aspire to work in product management or design at social media companies. The disciplines that prepare you for such a career are software, architecture, applied psychology, and behavioral economics, using what we know about human vulnerabilities in order to engineer compulsion. So he talks about the persuasive technology lab at Stanford uh, a branch of the university's Human Sciences and Technologies Advanced Research Institute um, is essentially uh, a kind of a you know a special like postgraduate school for teaching people how to convince other people to become compulsive whatever. Yeah, you don't you call it persuasion. You don't call it like addiction, <laughs> addiction manipulation. But in but that's really what you're. What you're talking about doing. The discipline of capturing people's attention and making it hard for them to escape. Fogg's behavior, uh, BJ Fogg is the, the founder of the lab that I just mentioned. Uh, Fogg's behavior model involves building habits through the use of what he calls hot triggers like the links and photos in Facebook's newsfeed made up largely of posts by one of his Facebook friends. Um, uh, the app both triggers a successful app creates a persistent routine or behavioral loop. The app both triggers a need and provides the momentary solution to it. Feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness often instigate a slight pain or irritation and prompt an almost instantaneous and often mindless action to quell the negative sensation. Gradually, these bonds cement into a habit as users turn to your product when experiencing certain internal triggers. The fascinating thing about that, I think, is that it, it describes precisely how cigarettes work. Right, cigarettes are the most, mm. say, the most successful addictive product of the 20th century and and maybe before. That 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 idea of like feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness. But that's by the way that describes a lot of moments in life. I mean, that describes almost every, well, not almost every moment, but many many moments. You've got this sort of oh, what, not quite sure what to do. You just light a cigarette. Uh, it's kind of uh, the same maybe for looking at Twitter. Oh, have I got any? Mm. You know what I mean. It's exactly the same mechanism, um, which, when you think about the implications of it, I mean, that's sort of an interesting thing to think about in isolation, but think about the implications of this. This is like a kind of all-pervading part of the culture now. Like, we are surrounded by these things, and almost everybody is using at least one, and some people using loads and loads of different sort of addictive uh, apps or, you know, social mm. media or whatever. Now, the point about this is that the supply of attention... You know, the amount of attention the human race is capable of paying collectively is remains basically the same. I mean, it changes with population, but, you know, it's it's like it's like uh, in terms of person hours, you know, it's like, it depends on the number of people you've got, but the number of hours stays the same. It's the, the, the amount of attention is constant. The amount of content, the sort of stuff, the stuff that attention can be paid to has increased to l almost a limitless extent. You know what I mean? There is so much more... There is so much more that you could pay attention to. The idea of a 90-minute football game is just like kind of very 
There's something quite old school about it. Yeah, I think the TV stations are taking that on board, though, as well. I was at the One Zero Con, Ken. Oh, yeah. This uh, this past week. Well, I mean, how was Lance? It was strange. I was there at half six going, hang on, I've got my lanyard here. <laughs> what's, what's co- hey, why am I the only one here? Apparently Lance is, the, nobody Nobody cares what Lance has to say anymore. There I was <laughs> waiting for him. Mm. I don't know Lance, unfortunately, last week. But uh, I was at a couple of these, di- you know, future of sports media and you know, digital, sort of sport and tech and all these kind of different things. But BT Sport, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they decided this year for the Champions League to do a deal with Google to show the Champions League stream it on YouTube as well as having it live which is counterintuitive really it's why would you give it away for free on YouTube in the UK if you're trying to if you're also trying to get people to buy your TV station and their point was look you can't see them as you can't you can't see social media and online as a a direct competitor to what you're doing you actually have to own that space as well to use the kind of phraseology Mm. that these people tend to use you know so they they streamed it they also went heavy on um instagram and all the rest and they'd have their own photographers in there putting up photographs uh, putting up uh, tweeting links you know so they kind of attacked it on on social media Mm. and the biggest the center point of which was actually um putting it on youtube you know which is not something that i would have thought was a logical thing to do so I think they all accept that uh, that this is you can't you're not going to block illegal streaming you know mm. that, 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 that's that gone that, that, that's been tried and it hasn't worked mm. so you have to accept people are going to do that and I guess you have to just yeah, work out how you're going to how you're going to like for example the, the guy from BT didn't say this but it was suggested by another panel member that that deal probably also gave BT access to the information of people who subscribe, who watch on YouTube and who, who went through Google and therefore they could then target them for subscriptions and all the rest of it and build up their own database. You know? Yeah, but I think what uh, football has to recognise is what happened with uh, music briefly. Well, music still, I suppose, with Spotify if you're willing to pay the premium and film and television, which is you can get it for free. So what are you willing to pay for it to be clean and legal and easy mm. and at the moment football uh, sport in general football in particular are way off like they're they're way off the what what you're charging what is being charged to watch football is so much more than that that area like you basically yeah. the pri- what what this will come down to again is pricing and how where where the illegality of it actually starts to hit home for people because I mean, if if you're saving fifty euro a month by illegally streaming something, no one cares. But if you're saving like eight, you know eight euro a month by streaming something, then maybe you start thinking, maybe well, maybe I'll just pay the eight euro, and I won't have to be messing around with illegal streams, and it'll just be clean and easy, and it'll be Netflix. It's on my laptop. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And what that obviously means is that we've been price gouged for the last probably 10 years particularly yeah. in the last 5 years yeah but when we were when that was happening it's not like anyone had any anything better to do and it also wasn't as though people were used to this idea that all entertainment or maybe when i say entertainment it's the wrong word diversions like the distractions as to just things that you do like leisure things that yeah. you do just that that you do on your own time that you want to do um they increasingly put you at the center of that. Mm. Like you are this, the star of this, of this world. You know what I mean? And football 
relegates you to the role of a dot in a crowd, you know, and you know, or or you know, a, a passive couch potato, mm. you know, watching on your pay TV link. You know what I mean? It's not. It's it doesn't make you feel important enough. I bet. I bet anything that there are that most people uh, under the age of twenty would rather play FIFA than watch football. Like watching a game is like. Oh, it's like, I don't control. You know the way you see a baby sometimes with a magazine trying to like brush its fingers across the mm. pages, like thinking it's an iPad and like kind of staring at the page going, what? What is this thing? What is this thing all about? Yeah, yeah you've, seen, <laughs> you've seen them do that. You know, Somebody ba- just called his children idiots there. Have, you, have, you, have your children actually done? You've seen your children do that. Swipe before they can do all the same thing else. They start, they're swiping at, at like a, a magazine. They're like, what is this? What is this iPad is broken. So, I, I mean, similarly, like a, f- a football game on TV, like Man United against Man City or whatever, it's like, why are they, I can't even control these players. You know, why is Zlatan so terrible in this game? <laughs> why is Zlatan playing so badly? You can't badly? control the ball and I can do nothing about it. You know, or, or there's all kinds of things. I mean, you, you're, if you're surrounded by all these competing products, which have been specifically designed to hook into, like, the dopamine reward system in your brain, like, specifically designed by people who have been trained really well and done a lot of research and know exactly how to hook your lizard brain. And then, you, on the other hand, you've got, like, good as Jamie Carragher and Phil Neville were on analysis last night, can this product really compete? And then, obviously, there's, there's the option of just of watching porn. Well, there is the argument... <laughs> there is the argument that it's still, the, it's still one of the areas that people demand... that people want to see live. You know, this is the... The, yeah, people who, the people who pay a lot of money for sports rights for TV stations are working off that assumption. This will remain the case. People have to see it live and in full. But that's the that's the the kind of comforting illusion that's the sports right people involved in sports rights bidding for and selling have been have been telling themselves for years. And it's absolutely true. You say people have to watch this live. Yeah, like more than a million people were watching the one or two of the rugby games in the World Cup last year. The yeah. All-Ireland Finals, again, close to a million tend to watch these matches. So yeah. I don't the exact figures in front of it's, me. It's like the only thing on TV that, that, that you have to watch live. You can you can DVR everything else or, you know, get it off the internet or whatever. But you only have to watch it live if you want to watch it in the first place. And... For increasing numbers of people, that may no longer really be true because there are other things to do. There are there are other there are other so many other alternatives in which you are made to feel more important than than sort of mass sport. It's like a mass media form. It's like a 1920s and 30s, the mass media, the mass entertainment, mass uh, spectator sports in the stadium. And it's kind of we're kind of moving away from it a little bit. I agree that you know as you say, the huge audiences for. Rugby, you know, the Super Bowl, like the NFL viewing figures also falling in, in the United States and everyone's kind of tearing their hair out, what's going on? And the Super Bowl every year gets more people. Every year it's, it, it's, it breaks the record every year for the most watched program in, in US history. But it's only the Super Bowl. Like this, this, the Super Bowl is this bigger than sport event. Those rugby matches are bigger than sports events like the euros matches it's like everyone gets together this is what we're all going to be doing for the next two hours you know what i mean it's like that's why that's the attraction it's not it's not the sport it's the kind of sensation of being involved in a mass event for once that's that 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 means that for the very top events you'll still get these huge audiences but for you know the kind of run the mill stuff like say last night i mean last night is a big match man city man united but 
it's hardly, it's, you know, it's not like the Euros, you know, it's not like, wow, everyone's watching this. You know, some people, it's, it, you don't have that sense. Anyway. Well, let's get on to last night. Just one other thing on is that uh, I, I saw also the Sport Ireland report, which confirms my view that the game's in crisis. Uh, numbers competing in football, like playing football the way that you do, uh, are down a quarter in four years. Um, uh, down to fewer than 5% of people playing on a, on a kind of regular basis, but it's, it's down by 25% since 2011. Are they including uh, you know, five aside and that kind of thing, which is what I would play? Or are they talking yes. about registered with teams? Oh, no, five, five aside. Oh, like okay. a, oh, I'm surprised like, that uh, anecdotally feels like a lot of people are playing five aside. Maybe that's, I don't know. Maybe. Just a reflection well, I'm, in my mid, I'm, in, I'm in my mid 30s, yeah. <laughs> that could be the demographic. You're aging demographic, Owen. <laughs> um, now, Jim, uh, going to the gym is up a little bit. Uh, running every, and stuff like every, that. Yeah, running running is now the most popular sport. It's taken over from swimming. Um, but in general, participation in sport is in decline. Uh, the reports, which I haven't read all of yet, but at the, you know, it's kind of saying, well, one potential reason we think is that the economy has picked up. The unemployment rate has fallen from, you know, 135 to 8%. The economy has picked up. Therefore, people have to work more and don't have enough as much time to play football and other sports. Uh, I, uh, you know what I think is going on, Alan, and it ain't got nothing to do with the economy picking up. Last night. Last night. Uh, yeah, well, we're going to talk to Jonathan, I suppose, in a bit more detail about this. But the main, the main sort of interesting aspects of this, I thought the, the most interesting aspect of it was I saw last night the emergence of... Jose Mourinho's been waiting for someone to step forward and say, I am the man. I am the man at Manchester United. I'm going to be the the sort of soldier of this new Mourinho regime uh, to, to carry the flag, the standard bearer for the new Mourinho team. And last night, the man stepped forward. And his name is Andrew Herrera. Uh, did you see the goal with which Manchester United won the game? I did. What did you think of the goal? Any thoughts on... Are you saying that Herrera fouled... Who was a defender in question? Fernando, I think. That was yeah. That that that's what I thought had happened on first at first glance. But then, a second on the replay, there was no appeal by Fernando or by his teammates, and it looked like maybe he had fouled Herrera. One way or the other, they cancelled each other out, which suited Matt just fine because he got to roll the ball into the corner. I thought it was one hundred percent a foul by Andrew Herrera. Yeah, I thought it probably was. That's what I thought initially. So I suppose I might as well stick up my gut, Ken, rather than second guessing myself. Y- you were you you read exactly what he was doing. He was. Engaging in a bit of gridiron style <laughs> blocking. Uh, blocking, he was just making sure that Fernando would not be able to challenge for the ball. A ball, incidentally, Herrera couldn't reach himself. Um, so it was a foul, but it was a cunning foul, which led directly to victory. Uh, there was also a lot of there was a lot of aggressive play, a lot of cunning play, a lot of ruthless play, and some uh, play acting play thrown in as well for a good match some trying to get opponents booked and sent off type of stuff and I thought to myself Jose Mourinho I, I would be surprised if Ana Herrera is not the first name on the team sheet from from this day forth this is one of the best performances from Mourinho's point of view that any of his players has given you know since he won the title with Real Madrid this is this is this is gold and then, then even Herrera afterwards in the interview was quite impressive you know yes you know we don't want to get too negative about the result here today. You know, we move forward here at Manchester United. I think he could be Jose Mourinho's top. Yeah, he's been lieutenant. excellent, but he has been excellent all like all season. And he's, but he's he's kind of been one of those. He's been a bit of an Andy Reid for United fans in recent 
years. How do you why, mean Andy Reid? Like, why isn't he playing more? You know. Like, oh you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like this guy, he should be playing. You know, uh, and I, I, I was never really sure how much he deserved that, but in the last couple of months, he's been really good. Yeah. Well, he he was excellent. Um, I mean, I, I don't mean to say it's, it was just because he was kind of being the bad guy player that Manchester United maybe, or that I'm sure Jose Mourinho thinks Manchester United need. I mean, he was good. He was very good on the ball as well. I mean, when Pogba hit the post, it was courtesy of a brilliant piece of play by Herrera up the right touchline, exchanging passes with several players, giving it to Satan. You know, he's uh, he's kind of coming into his own a bit. Um, Mourinho kind of needs somebody to uh, step up, and, and last night he did. I mean... A bit better than you know Luke Shaw. We saw. Did you see Luke Shaw's brother? Luke Shaw's brother. Mm. Snakes on snakes huh? everywhere. Luke Shaw's brother in tweets which were hastily deleted accused Jose Mourinho of having a personal agenda against his brother. Oh, the brothers are not doing much for sports people these days. We had no. Pete Willett. Just shut guy. the hell up. What do you talentless th- younger or perhaps even more sad. Older brother. <laughs> what do you think Luke Shaw is thinking when he sees that? You know, oh no, this is this is. I've got to stand up for you, bro. You know, yeah. people are having a pop at you. Bro? Yeah, really. You know, <laughs> just shut the hell up. Um, yeah, he, I think he. Uh, yeah, he 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 won't be too happy with that. Mourinho also charged for his post-match comments. Um, speaking of post-match comments, we got a little bit of David Moyes. Another terrible day for David Moyes. Goes down to Southampton. They play most of the reserve players. Sunderland really go for it. They still lose one 0 Moyes gets sent off. The plane gets stranded in Southampton because of fog. Oh. Uh, <laughs> after the game, uh, David, I'm, I'm sorry to bother you, but your dog has died. <laughs> uh, <laughs> after the game, <laughs> this is this David Moyes' post-match interview. Be upset at the penalty decision? Would you not be? What did Chris Kavanagh say to you? I don't know who Chris Kavanagh is. The referee, is he okay? Oh, what he said, no, it wasn't him, it was a <laughs> That's, I mean, the, the, you got the feeling the interviewer really felt, I don't embarrass him here, but I've got no choice. No, I think there, I think the interviewer's pause, unnecessary pause, is what made that clip sound more cringy than it needed to be. Because I did see a lot of people laughing about this on Twitter this morning, and I thought, oh, come on, I, he didn't know the name of the ref. The refs are getting too much notoriety these days. I admire Moise's stance. And not wanting to know the name of the referee, yeah, and the shock of, of, that the interviewer seemed to feel at the moment. But uh, Chris Kavanagh, obviously, it's it's well, it is true. It's not. It's not a mistake that uh, Jose Mourinho would be likely to make. No, not knowing the referee. Um, uh, so what else happened? I mean, West Ham v Chelsea. We're going to talk to John Bruton about that. Liverpool also through, and Alex Ferguson with a big compliment mm-hmm. for Jurgen Klopp. What do you say? He's done a really good job and revived Liverpool's enthusiasm. Alex Ferguson told Kicker Magazine, Oof. "It can happen that big clubs lose it." For two decades, Liverpool changed managers without building their own identity. And that was. Who do you think he's AC Milan? Probably is it. It was foolish. It was foolish, foolish, foolish by Liverpool to do that. Certain other clubs I could think of, Real Madrid, maybe changed managers without really building an identity. You know, there's a few. There's a few clubs who've fallen into that trap, and it's a bad trap for a club to fall into. Liverpool, however, no longer in that trap. Thanks to Jurgen Klopp. That's the end of Ken Early's rather disheartening, if you're a fan of football, uh, report on sport. Timbuktu. Yo, listen up, here's the story. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. And all night and everything he sees is just...
They're all just headphones. Inside and outside, blue They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't kick on the pitch, they don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. England will after four minutes. And they still lost. Maggie Thatcher, your guys took a hell of a beating. Maggie Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sig Thorson. Oh, my oh, word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, we'll just say, Sig Thorson. <laughs> just cannot. <laughs> I only say disheartening, Ken, because it appears the game we all love is coming crashing to an end over the next few years. Ah, uh, you know, it's, it's already happened to baseball, though, and you know. Mm. I mean, Brian Murphy still loves it. Well, there's a, an amazing baseball story going on at the moment. Again, the Chicago Cubs in the World Series for the first time since the 1940s. So thanks no. for giving us a chance to plug our other podcast. A lot today. of the baseball fans these days are old enough to remember the last time Chicago Cubs <laughs> won the World Series. John Wilson, was this the moment, last night's victory and Jose Mourinho's demeanour? Was it the, the night that he really began to connect with Manchester United supporters? I mean, it'll help. Um, but you look at that City side and it was nothing like what you'd think a Guardiola first team would be. Um, it wasn't a fantastic performance. They probably were the better team. Uh, that first sort of 10, 15 minutes after halftime, they were, they were much the better team. Didn't just get the goal, but, but probably hit the post as well. So, I mean, it, it, it relieves the pressure for, for a little while. Um, they got a slightly easier run coming up in the league until uh, they play Arsenal in three weeks or three games time. But you know the, the next two games are, are both winnable. Um, but uh, you know I think it, you know it adds to the pressure on City and it doesn't do a huge amount for United apart from maybe giving him a sort of week or so to, to breathe and, and sort things out again. Ah, yeah, but you're talking about on the pitch, Jonathan. Sure, nobody pays attention to that anymore. I'm talking about off the field. Mourinho apologising to the fans pre-match in the in his programme notes, gesturing to the Stratford end after the game, sort of apologising again for how bad they were last week, uh, talking about how amazing the supporters were in his post-match interview. He really seemed to be hamming it up there at the his newfound love of the United fans. And that's probably you know, politically quite a sensible thing for him to do. But, um, you know, I think fans within Old Trafford have been pretty forgiving of the past two managers um, for a while. I mean, certainly they, you know, uh, what, nine games into the league season, they, they weren't calling for Van Gaal's head or Moyes' head. Yeah. Um, and, and I think there's a, you know, things are worse now than they were then. So I think there's, there's going to be more patience. So, yeah, you can understand why he's doing it. But... I still think that any United fan watching that game would still see some pretty major flaws um, and would hope things would, would get a lot better than that. I'm looking at one here who's just shaking his head. <laughs> there, there aren't any flaws as far as he's concerned. This it's is uh, Kieran Murphy over there. Yeah, this is the, the beginning of, uh, of all our tomorrows as far as he's concerned. But if you, when you're talking about flaws, what kind of flaws are you talking about? Well, I, I, th- I think there was a, a lack of fluency there. Um, you look at... Uh, Ibrahimovic, who has got one goal in his last nine games, 
okay, he set up the goal last night, but it, it, it had a terrible, terrible first half. You know, he looked like an aging player losing form, uh, which I mean, shouldn't be surprised for. I mean, for all his you know his great figures in um, in their, their preseason training drills, you know, he still is what thirty five. You know, you, you expect you can't you can't expect a thirty five year old to lead the line for a possible Premier League winning team in every game. Pogba's position, I still think he's not comfortable with that. I think he, he had another game where yeah, he, he flitted in and out of it. He, his touch looked heavy at times. And, and um, you know, we, we said from, from when he signed that he's he's not a holding midfielder, he's not a number 10, he's somewhere in between. And that's why he was used at Juventus when he was at his best. Mourinho was suggesting it, um, he could be one of the greatest centre-halves ever. Centre-half in, in the English use of the term or in the proper use of the term? Uh, I don't know, but Mourinho was saying as a central defender, I think he's. I think he'd be absolutely amazing. I think Mourinho really wants him to become a central defender. Mourinho wants Pogba to become a central defender? I think so. I think so. I think he feels that's Pogba's calling. So that would mean that he would... Well, yeah, he'd have, he'd be double the price of the previous most expensive central defender. I think. In the world. See, I think Mourinho would be really proud of that buying the <laughs> best buying the best player in the world and turning him into a central defender. I think he'd love that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, maybe he would. I mean, I, I, just, I don't know. I mean, um, maybe he's right. I mean, he obviously sees him far more than than we do in defensive situations. He he, he perhaps has a has the best grasp of um, Pogba's positional sense. But it seems to me that one of the great assets that Pogba has, one of the things that sets him apart from other players, is his energy. Which sounds something very basic, but that that box-to-box midfielder doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, And that's why uh, playing on on the the left of a midfield three is the ideal position for him. Because he he can use energy, he can get up and down. He he is good as an attacking player, he is good as a defensive player. So let him do both. You find a system that allows him to do both. Um, and he himself, in that interview he did with Thierry Henry, said he, you know, he dreamt of himself being a new type of midfielder, by which he seemed to mean exactly the same sort of midfielder that everybody in England had in the 80s and 90s. You know, sort of Brian Robson style. Oh, you know, to use your comparison, Stephen Gerrard style player who does get up and down. So, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe Mourinho's right. Maybe he does have that fantastic positional sense. But he, he's a player who seems constrained playing as a defensive midfielder. So he's only going to feel more constrained if he's then asked to play as a, as a centre-back. There have been a few issues uh, for Mourinho in terms... I mean, obviously, he's he's kind of had a go at Einstein's and the press who are always uh, having a pop at him. Um, it's it's more important, I, I guess, of what happens inside that dressing room. And there do seem to be a few issues. I mean, we know how crazy he went o- over these moles and rats in uh, Chelsea and, and Real Madrid, but there seems to be somebody at Manchester United who's, who's telling um, the media kind of what's happening behind closed doors, which I guess can't be too good for the manager's peace of mind. Yeah, I mean, just on the Einstein's point, I, I thought it, was, it does show how astute he is. He, he picked up very quickly the anti-intellectualism in English culture. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that's the insult that's going to hurt people. You know, call them anything else, but, but don't say that they're clever, whatever you do. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you, you're right. The, the constant rumours, I mean, it, it sort of, they, they really began uh, with the Luke Shaw uh, it's Chris and Luke Shaw after the Watford game, where you were never quite sure um, you know, is that is that actually players telling journalists that you know, we thought it was a bit unfair, or is that Luke Shaw's agent telling journalists that players thought criticism was unfair? So you know, one or two of those you, you you're sort of a little bit suspicious of. You know, you know as, as you've pointed out, the, the interesting thing about that was how it seemed to echo things that happened at Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, then this week 
we, we've had the stuff about, oh, he's too distant on the training ground, which is odd in that you know, the thing he's always been really good at is building that bond with players, that there's been a, an inner core who you almost become a cult around them. And you, you talk to people who played from a Porto, and they're still sort of obsessed by that. They, you know, they still can't hear anything against him. Um, you know, it's, talk, it's like talking to a, you know, a, a hardcore Corbinista, talking to kind of a, a Morinista from, from Porto. You know, they just will not listen to any criticism of him. Um, and so if players are suggesting that that's not the case, that at the very least indicates an interesting change in his relationship with his squad, which may in turn indicate that he's he's been burned by what happened at Real Madrid and at Chelsea, which I, I you know I, I think he probably was hurt by that, so maybe he has changed approach. Um, but on the other hand, you know when things are going badly, players do moan, and you're never quite certain how seriously to take them. But the thing I thought was most interesting this week was um, him complaining about living in a hotel. Yeah. Well, well, why did you think that was interesting? The thing, the thing I found interesting about that was why is Jose Mourinho spilling his guts to Andy Burton as though he's as though he's his therapist? Is this the first meaningful human contact he's had in <laughs> months? What is happening here? Well, it, it, I mean, it's um, to start with him moving into the hotel uh, when when he arrived in Manchester. The, the contrast with Guardiola was was fascinating. Guardiola straight away got an apartment um, near Spinning Fields in, in right, right in the centre of Manchester. Um, so there was a sense of Guardiola sort of, I mean, it's, it's symbolic more than anything else, but engaging himself within the hub of the city in a way that Mourinho was quite distant. He's in a suite in a, in a fancy hotel. He's never going to be as connected as somebody who's living in an apartment, even if that's a luxury apartment with loads of security and, and he never goes out. Um, but I mean, when have you, when have we heard before managers expressing weakness like that? You know, it's just not something they do. And it's not something Mourinho does. Um, so, and you're right, even the fact he's saying it like that, um, it, it suggests a, a sort of a, a loneliness, um, which is, I mean, it, it's, it's sad in many ways, it's touching in, 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 in a way, um, but it, it's, it, 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 um, it undermines the image of Mourinho as this hard man, all controlling ruler, which he, you know, he's previously pushed. Pep, on the other hand, six games now without a win. I think it's his worst managerial, worst spell in his managerial career, Jonathan. But he was positively beaming after the game last night. He didn't seem too pushed about the old EFL Cup. Yeah, I mean, and he said beforehand that it was the least of his priorities, and I'm sure that's the case. And his, his squad selection, his team selection, you know, suggested he wasn't that bothered by it, which is fine up to a point. But, you know, the, the League Cup is this sort of strange beast where if you're a big team, Doing badly in it can undermine you. Doing well in it doesn't really help. Um, so, I mean, that the 4-0 defeat that United suffered to MK Dons under Louis van Gaal, that wasn't the final straw for him by any means, but it, it was something he never quite lived down. That was always an embarrassment lurking in the background. Now, yeah, I think it's 1-0 to United, obviously, is a, is a, is a totally different, different magnitude of defeat. But it, it just sort of encourages the sense of, of unease that you know, what has suddenly happened that you win 10 in a row and then you can't win the next six. And, you know, the, there was a, a flatness about City last night. They didn't look like a Guardiola team, which is the extraordinary thing about what he's done, that right from the start of the season, City have looked like a Guardiola team. Whereas last night it was just a you know, bunch of decent players playing reasonable football, but not really getting anywhere. Mm. Um, so, uh, 
I mean, does that suggest that the project is beginning to unravel? Probably not, but it, it, it's certainly not helpful. And, and you know, it, as that figure keeps mounting, it's only going to get worse and worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 interesting. I mean, Guardiola could look at it and think, well, Man City, Manuel Pellegrini actually won this competition last year, and look look um, how much good that did him. Uh, it's not. It's it's clearly not an important competition, so I might as well keep my players' legs fresh. Um, on the other hand. Just giving away a game against um, Manchester United is is never really a good idea if you're the Manchester City manager. Maybe he felt as though he had reason to be confident looking at the player, the actual reserve players that Man City have. It's not like we're talking about a bunch of bad players, but based on what you saw of them last night, how many good players are we talking about? But it was such a difference in, in, in shape, even in mentality. I mean... I guess if City had won that game, that would have been you know, a real humiliation for United. That they, you know, with a it was pretty much a first team, you know, first team from United. If they still hadn't been able to beat City's reserves, that would have been, you know, another severe blow to Mourinho. And, and you know, maybe it's a, it's a missed opportunity to, to land another blow on on a, a rival that you assume will become more significant as time goes by. Um, but on the other hand, by by, you know, by picking a weakened team, I, I guess he gave himself an excuse. Uh, I mean, who, who's good in that side? I think you know, we know. I mean, Jesus Navas actually had a really good game, but I think we know his limitations. Um, Ian Acho, I thought his use of the ball wasn't perhaps as good as you'd hoped for. You know, I think he's looked really promising and maybe hasn't quite got the publicity his his, his uh, goals per minute ratio deserves. But you know, he, he looked a bit clunky. I thought Alex Garcia looked, looked really good actually. I thought you know he, he yeah, looked good on the ball. Used really, it very- I thought he reminded me a bit of Sean Thornton. <laughs> in in look or in how he used the ball, kind of position, look, pace of passing, all those things. Yeah, I mean, I, I he, he I was kind of like he he looked sort of like, maybe a, a better comparison. What was, what was that um, Portuguese central midfielder that never quite managed to get the big move uh, back in the what? day? Uh, uh, no, no, no. Uh, even even before him, I shouldn't bring up a player whose name I can't remember. Kind of, but kind of one of these sort of nice central midfielders who gets the ball and pass it around in quite a safe way. You know, he didn't really look as though he was going to make anything happen. And, and, and because he was the, he was kind of given so much responsibility the way City were last night. Um, you know, it's it sort of became obvious that he wasn't sort of ready for a game like this yet. I think I think that's pretty harsh. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, mate, mate, he wasn't penetrated. That like, clearly is true. But I think you could equally blame you know, the lack of movement. that's slightly strange. You know, even the shape, you know, that four four two that the City played. Um, and okay, Sane was was dropping deep, uh, but still, it, it didn't have the angles that a, a City team normally have. So, I, I I'd, I'd look at that and look at his comfort on the ball and his his, his unfaithfulness on a stage like that, rather than saying, well, you didn't actually play the killer pass. Okay. Miguel yeah. Veloso, is, I think, is the guy I was trying to think of, the Portuguese guy. Okay. Mm. Ken just wanted to get that out there because he's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's been beating himself around the head here for the last 30 seconds, that not knowing, bringing up a player who he couldn't remember. But listen, Jonathan, I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Yes, thanks very much. Mourinho's biggest issue, this hotel, we haven't got to that. Mm. that uh, we've touched on it there. His rather sad interview pre-match where he talked about this Alan Partridge-style existence that a lot of people are seizing on over the last 24 hours in the living in a hotel. His, his issue doesn't seem to be that he has to stay in a hotel. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's nice, the Larry Hotel in, in Manchester. Oh, it's, nice. it's more that he can't leave the bloody place. 
He says he can't get really, out. Do you to believe that? Do you believe that? For well, I do. Be, I do believe there'd be a, probably a good few photographers waiting outside with nothing better to do than waiting on a Jose Mourinho watch. Well, there are. We see we see Jose Mourinho every morning walking out. They usually there's usually a, a picture in the Daily Mail with the caption saying something like "bleary looking Jose Mourinho on his way to work this morning." You're like, well, <laughs> I mean, he is living in a in a city center hotel. You know, the, there's no need for him to be living there. Why is he living there? It's his choice. Maybe he hasn't found the right place. Well, what's he? What's he looking for? Like, I mean, he's not. He didn't. He didn't. Not going to spend any time at home. Like he said, a place with a good connection between the the garage and the apartment. You know, I could just get the lift down to my car and drive out, and wouldn't have to. Uh, there's no shortage of those places in Manchester. Manchester is full of, you know, expensive apartments for middle-aged single men. I mean, I say single. He is married, but his. I mean, he he his talked. His existence to, is single at the moment. Yeah. He talked about his, his daughter being in, in university and his son playing football down in London. Um, therefore, he was living by himself. Well, yeah, the, yeah, that was the point of the family not being up there. But it, your, your point is he can still go and get an apartment by of himself. Of course, and he wouldn't even have there. to look for it himself. They've got like a player liaison department that would do that. He'd say, I want an apartment. You know, it, it needs to have a bed, a shower, a microwave and a lift. And they'd be like, okay, Joseph, we think we can do that. All he'd have to do is sign a piece of paper. It's not like he's going to be queuing to, you know, with... <laughs> like, like no, I've, I've got the deposit and everything here in three months. So yeah, it's not Surely we should case. be able to close this. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody f***ing with my click, 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 click. We don't normally broadcast all the, the stuff that comes from scum around the country. Evan Byrne is our scumbag today, an Irishman living in London, mm-hmm. who says some lovely things about how the podcast is keeping him sane over there. Yeah. That said, I have one small complaint. As I am also the rarest of Irish things, a Spurs fan. I'm outraged at the lack of attention you've given Spurs this season. To be fair, everybody is guilty of ignoring us, but no more. We are arguably the best team in the Premier League if you consider that we are a sole point off the top and most importantly, unbeaten at the time of writing. But instead of giving us even a small bit of attention, you won't shut up about United and Rooney, bloody Klopp and his weird antics, which frankly were stale last season, and Pep, the fact that maybe he's not quite as good as we all automatically assumed, and Bravo, who's actually quite useless... I'd say you've given more attention to Donald Trump than to Tottenham this season. (laughs) So maybe instead of dedicating the whole hour to an in-depth discussion about how useless Bravo was in the game against Barca, for example, you could have just acknowledged the greatest save ever in a Champions League game made by one Hugo Lloris against Bayer Leverkusen. Cheers from Evan, who implores us once again to pay more attention to his beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Any reaction, Ken? Nobody puts uh, baby in the corner. (laughs) Tottenham. and that uh, I don't know. uh, I got burned by Tottenham last season, no? I I stuck my neck out. I wrote an article saying best team in the league, uh, and this would have been uh, February. Who did they? They they had some win. I was like, oh, this is it. So my my pieces on the lines of so this is how it feels to support the best team in the league, Tottenham. And at that point, I thought I was convinced they were going to win the league. I was convinced they were going to hunt down Leicester City. And overtake them and and stick it to everybody and be the champions. And of course, they actually finished third in a two horse race. Stung by that, you're consciously ignoring them this year. Well, I don't know. I'm just. Well, I'm just... we we sit around. We have a big discussion about what we're going to talk about on every show. And then at the end of that discussion, Ken turns to us and says, "Lads, it's Tottenham." Yeah. 
It's, it is Tottenham. I mean, we could talk all we like about Tottenham, but really, lads. It's Tottenham. It's still Tottenham. Look, I, I felt as though it would be as well to let to take some of the pressure off Spurs. <laughs> you know, not to be hyping them, not to be there saying these guys are going to do it, you know, Pochettino's going to do it. Just instead to say, look, they've got some guys who are trying to bet in. Harry Kane's injured. They don't have any other strikers in the squad for some reason, apart from this guy, Janssen, who can only score penalties. You know, it's not as though the firepower is all obviously there. So what I've decided to do it's is give Tottenham time. I, I suppose what I'm saying in, in a way is prove yourself, Tottenham. Prove yourself to me, because I've already said this is the best team in the league. And I was wrong about that. Leicester were the best. Arsenal were the second best. And Tottenham were not as good as Arsenal. So, you know, we're still waiting. We're waiting to see if there's, if there's more to this team. Mm, I'm just looking at our next topic here, though. Good news for Evan, because we are about to cover two London clubs. Uh, neither Arsenal of whom, football club, lad. Yeah, no, neither of whom are at Tottenham Hotspur. Neither of them are Arsenal either. John Bruno was at the London Stadium to see West Ham knock Chelsea out of the... Why have I forgotten the name of the cup? EFL. EFL English Cup. Football League Cup renamed EFL to make it sound as though a competition that doesn't have a sponsor has a sponsor. John, everyone's not talking about what happened on the field. They're talking about what happened off the pitch. It looked like a nasty old atmosphere. Yes, it was. I mean, the, th- the thing was, um, th- that, 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 that was always likely to happen. Um, I th- I th- what, what can we blame it upon? Um, the, the problem in the stadium is, uh, as, as we've discussed before, is the stadium wasn't actually built for football. It wasn't built with football in mind. The area where the, the violence that you will have seen on television screens and in your newspaper, that, 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 that began um, down at the bottom, behind one of the goals, the Trevor Brookings stand, as it is now, um, where the attempts to segregate the two fans are pretty much come down to a rather large piece of claret and blue tarpaulin in between the two fans um, and then uh, obviously a a line of stewards in between them. One of the problems is that when the Chelsea fans sought to exit the stadium, the team was losing 2-0, the the tie was done, they actually came very close to the West Ham fans um, who, it has to be said, as the game went on and their team was winning, were moving towards the Chelsea fans and goading them and there were a few missiles being thrown and all the rest of it. Um, it had been building up and I think as soon as it came to the point where the Chelsea fans were leaving the stadium, that's when it was always likely to kick off. There is a structural problem within the London Stadium which means that there is that weak point, that security point that can be pressed against that is going to cause the problems that we saw last night. Why is that particular to the London or peculiar rather to the London Stadium, John? Are there not other grounds where similar conditions uh, exist? No, not at all. I mean, you know, uh, I suppose since the Taylor report of 1989, 1990, um, and, you know, even going back before that in in English football, grounds have always been built so that um, away fans can travel into the ground um, and pretty much come into as little contact as possible with the opposing fans. Um, The London Stadium was built, um, that area actually, just where it is, is that was probably pretty much trackside. It was sort of the bend of the track. I was, I would, I would have thought. Um, now, you know, you, you attended the, the London Olympics down there. There will be, um, well, let's say a, a very different type of person will be down there. You know, convivially enjoying the athletics. Um, there is no sense of tribalism within athletics fans. I wouldn't have said. 
And, uh, you know, the walkways in behind, those that actually were probably the source of where the problems came, that was where just people went to go and get food and drink, go and use the toilet, so on and so forth. The actual structure does not lend itself to fans being pretty much demarcated from each other, ghettoised away from each other, so that they don't come into contact. Um, football learned its lessons over many years to do that. Unfortunately, the London Stadium is a stadium that was not built with that in mind. Is there, there's still evidently then a bit of an appetite for aggro among some of the fans of West Ham and Chelsea? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I was actually at the game. Uh, West Ham played Accrington Stanley, uh, I think that was September the 21st. The draw was made after the game. And as soon as that came through, everyone just knew Chelsea. OK, this is the first big test of the stadium. Um, I've been at the, I've been at Upton Park before, where Chelsea fans have, you know, down by the down in the old corner of the old stand, they would be, you know, that they would have fans either side or who would be essentially hurling abuse, trying to get a rise out of them. It's all part of the circus, I suppose, at football grounds before. Um, most of the time, because they were segregated off from each other, it's just essentially piss and wind. People shout at each other. It's a bit of a laugh. They go home. No aggro happens. I mean. Many years ago, actually, I went down there with dear old Macclesfield Town, and um, we were, you know, it was a fairly cheery occasion. Macclesfield Town were leading for quite a big part of the game, and um, everyone, I think the Manchester Macclesfield Town fans were singing, you know, stand up if you love the North, the North of England. And the West Ham response from a group of, you know, handy lads dressed in sort of Danny Dyer costumes and all the rest of it was, stand up if you want to fight. And, you know, you know, essentially, uh, you know, fists being sort of waved in the direction of a group of essentially middle class idiots from Macclesfield, you know, that had just come to watch the football match. It could get hairy down at West Ham, down at Upton Park. And it seems that element has come across to the London Stadium. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine who lives in London uh, sent something on WhatsApp last night. So I'm going to read it out. Actually. It says, there's something very J.G. Ballard about the mass psychosis breaking out amongst West Ham fans now that they're asked to generate atmosphere in a giant air-conditioned pamper space deposited like a meteor on the toxic wastelands of former local industry. <laughs> I mean, uh, do, you, do you find that the, the atmosphere at West Ham has got a little bit even crazier since they're, they're trying to fill up this big stadium with noise? I, mean, I saw there was one thing um, doing rounds around the time of the game last night, certainly on on Twitter, I saw this photocopy of a sh- of like a song sheet uh, had these lyrics uh, to a potential song the West Ham fans could sing about John Terry, uh, which, given all the stuff that was happening over the last few days about various people saying, you know, it's it's time gay footballers need to realise that you know the vast majority of football fans are perfectly happy to support a gay player. This was like a homophobic song about John Terry, which would make you think those sorts of. Um, you know that that kind of thing is is maybe a you know a little uh, wishful thinking. Yeah, I mean the only thing is that uh, football Twitter, uh, you know, you are going to find which is a, it's a tweet, wasn't it, where it went out? I saw it. Um, football Twitter, football fans. Fortunately, no matter how hard you try, it's, it's still full of absolute idiots. Um, those are those are prob- probably similar idiots to those that went down to. Them. Stadium looking for a fight. Um, as regards the 
the vast expanse, this wasteland, which I've talked to you about before, that the London Stadium sits within this huge, I had to do it again you know, last night, that 25-minute walk back to oh, the Oh, John, we, know, do we have to hear about this again. <laughs> I'm thinking of that polar bear swimming across the Arctic Ocean because all the ice has melted. You on your way to Stratford. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the revenant as I, as, I, as I made my way across this. Uh... <laughs> well, the other thing is that Every time, I, as I said, I live in the area. Every time I go up there, I get lost. I get lost. And the thing is, like, this place is so huge. There are so many ways to get there. There are nine transport links. There is this huge Olympic Park uh, behind you. And there's, there's no way of sort of navigating your way around it. And then, of course, you think you're close to it. But then you've got to walk through a great big bloody shopping centre. You know, and uh, it's... It's you know I'm, you know I'm I'm a forty year old man I'm used to football grounds being amongst tight streets in the middle of cities and stuff like that and this ground yeah it has brought out something different among the fans I wouldn't say that there is this sort of frenzy to make things louder um, it certainly wasn't as loud as it could get at Upton Park even in the last few seasons there um, I just think last night was one of those games I'm reminded of a fixture a few years ago. Um, Remember, they played Millwall and the fans ended up on the pitch and uh, there were some, you know, uh, police videos of people making absolute fools of themselves on the pitch. That was another game where as soon as the teams were drawn out of the cup and it was in the same competition, the League Cup, you just knew that something was going to go off. And it does seem that maybe West Ham, maybe there are other clubs that do this as well, that they see a fixture like that and think, this is the night for aggro. And that's what they got. And unfortunately, the stadium's infrastructure is just not set Set up. This, the area is too vast. The stadium's not correctly configured to prevent that type of thing. I know the club put in a great deal of effort, um, you know, speaking to people there. And Chelsea themselves actually knew that that, that, that you know they've been in contact, and they themselves said, you know, we, we can't really condemn the, the, the lack of effort from West Ham. They've really tried on this, but unfortunately, there is no accounting for idiocy. No, true enough. Listen, John, great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, lads. City dog out is out with Motherwell. You're a wee mate. Your bags and your desk, boom. Your bags and your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's your biggest fool in Manchester. Yeah, the future doesn't sound great for that particular fixture because everything John talks about there seem, seems to be long term or at least medium term yeah. the structure of the stadium the, the police it was designated a high security risk before the game so the police were expecting what happened to happen and still couldn't ultimately quell it completely so you do start wondering if this starts happening every game and this this anger builds up and you start maybe start getting the prearranged brawls outside the ground that used to pockmark the 80s and 90s even yeah i don't know uh, don't and and it's not as though chelsea are the only team that that could happen with. You know, you, you've also got Manchester United. That's a troublesome fixture with West Ham. I mean, remember the one last season 
with the last game at Upton Park, which when West Ham beat United with a kind of late comeback, it was one of the craziest atmospheres you can remember seeing. It was just really, you know, mm. really means a lot to West Ham to beat Man United. That's a potentially troublesome fixture. Tottenham is another one. You know, I'm not. Uh, it, it, you know, what I'm saying is that the same problems that apply when Chelsea are there also apply when these other clubs are there. So it's just something that they're going to have to sort out. I mean, maybe it's going to mean they're going to have to separate the streams around the stadium. You know, you can only go one way if you're an away fan and the other way if you're a home fan. How they do that, phew, I'm glad it's not my job to work that out. You mentioned the uh, survey that the BBC did into attitudes towards gay players mm. and the fact that most people are comfortable with a gay player playing for their club, which is fine, which is what you'd expect. But there were still 8% of football fans who were surveyed said that they would stop watching their team. They'd stop watching their team if they signed a gay player. That's one in 12. Oh, hang on. Was the question, would you stop watching your team if they if they had a gay player? Let me get this uh, open in front of me here. So that's, that's, that's interesting because it's, it's, that's, a, that's a bigger question than, you know, would, would it be all okay with you? I mean, there could, if that was the question, then it, it leaves open the possibility that there is a, also a percentage of people who wouldn't approve but would not stop watching their team anyway. Like their their love of club uh, was slightly greater than their homophobia. Most sports fans in England, Wales, Scotland said they would be comfortable with their club signing a gay player, according to a BBC Radio 5 Live survey. It found 82% of supporters would have no issue. However, 8% of football fans said they would stop watching their team. Yeah. So, so 80, yeah. 82% of no issue, so 18% would have an issue. Well, 8%, it doesn't say anything about the other 10. It says mm. 8%. I'm sure if I dug deeper into yeah, this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm trying to do that, but I'm not seeing any reference to this missing 10% here. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, yeah, like this this song, the West Ham, uh, the, I mean, I say West Ham fans, I mean, the Tarot West Ham fans, but, you know, obviously somebody thought it would be a good idea to pass out this song with John Terry, which is just the usual, the usual type of football song. Well, John Terry is a queer, he takes it up the rear, the, the, that type of stuff. Um, and, you know, if that's considered to be, haha, you can see how if you were a gay player in that West Ham Chelsea game, you'd be like, maybe not. Maybe I'll just keep my private life to myself for the time being. All right, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Kira. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, and thank you Simon, for your con- you, Simon, continued well. sterling work as our producer. Thanks, guys. Once you're done with today's podcast, why not listen to our latest non-football show featuring... U.S. Murph from the Chicago Cubs, as mentioned earlier. Johnny Sexton ahead of the games against New Zealand coming up. And we also talked to Brian Peters. He's going to be managing Katie Taylor as she begins her professional boxing career. That's it. Thanks for listening. Take care. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 